We begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Wonderful to see all of you here this morning. Uh, how many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls? Ooh, we got a good chunk here. We got a good chunk here, right? Yeah, um, um, I'm assuming if you, even if you haven't been to Niagara Falls, you know what Niagara Falls is. Uh, we lived in Toronto for six years, and so Niagara Falls was only about an hour and 15 minutes away from us. And so every time family would, would come into town, that was, that was where we went. And of course, we always went to the Canadian side. My clicker is not working, so I'm going to rely on our guys back there. So uh, there it is. Um, that's the Canadian Falls. So if, if you've been to Niagara Falls, you know this a little bit. If you haven't, that's okay. Um, um, there's an, an American Falls side and a Canadian Falls side. All it means is which side of the, the border you're on. This one happens to be the Canadian side. Um, and, and Niagara Falls is, is just astounding. I, let me put it this way. I, I didn't think I was going to be that amazed by it because I don't know why. I think maybe it, it had too big a name. I, too many people had talked about it. Maybe too many people had kind of talked it up to me a little bit. But when I went, I was just blown away. And if you've gone, you're like, you're like, oh, this is why people come here. Now, the only kind of bad part about Niagara Falls now is, um, in addition to the actual power and beauty and majesty of the falls, uh, now the towns on either side have built up. So um, you can not only go to see one of the most amazing waterfalls in the world, but you can also go go-karting and you can gamble, and you can go to Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum, and you can do all, you know, all the rest of the tourist stuff. But um, at the end of the day, if you strip all of that away, what's left is something that is just incredible, right? Work of nature, powerful. Right? Um, one of the things that kind of surprised me the most, especially, um, well, and this was on the Canadian side, uh, was, next slide there, if you can, can, you guys. My clicker's not working, so this might... This might, uh, I might have to have like a signal, like, no, I don't know, <laughs> come up with something real subtle, yeah, something like that, so anyway, we'll figure it out, you guys will be okay. Um, one of the most amazing things for me was, especially on the Canadian side, was just how close you could actually get to the edge of the falls. I don't know if any of you that have been there and done the Canadian side um, have experienced that. So if you're looking at this picture in the bottom right corner there, you can see tourists all over there. And I didn't do an exact measurement, but you were within like, it felt like 12 to 15 feet of the water rushing over Niagara Falls. Like I was, I was sitting there and I'm watching it. And then, and then um, um, you start to get mesmerized by a little, little bit. And then I swear that I felt myself like tipping a little f towards it, like, like just the, the continual motion of the water over the falls, like all of a sudden like my, I'm getting hypnotized and I'm like, I think I'm just going to go right into the falls. Um, but you can get remarkably close um, and it, when you're that close, you can just feel the power and the amount of water that, that's rushing over the top, right? And so if you haven't gone, it's absolutely worth it. I can't uh, speak to any of the, the gambling or Ripley's, believe it or not, or go-karts, but the falls themselves um, are awesome. But did you know that in 1969, they shut the falls off? You guys can go to the next slide there. This is the American Falls side of it. Yeah. So we, we call Niagara Falls a, a um, natural wonder, um, but there's quite a bit of uh, um, engineering that has gone on with those falls. 
So in 1969, they needed to do some repairs specifically uh, on the American Falls side of it, uh, and they wanted to give it a little bit of a facelift, which in my mind, I'm like, I don't think Niagara Falls needs a facelift, but they felt it did. Um, so they, they diverted the water and basically shut it off so that they could work on it. Right? It's kind of an eerie picture, closing off that source and all of the majesty and the beauty of it disappears. But it serves as kind of a good illustration, I think, for us as believers and points us to the text that Christ uh, um, speaks to Martha and Mary today. When we shut off the source of life and of living, when that spigot gets cranked down, all aspects of our life gets affected. Today, that's exactly what Jesus talks to Martha and Mary about. The importance of the life-giving water and the source and how it ultimately fuels our living, right, and our busyness and all the things that we have in our lives. And so that's going to be kind of where we're headed today. We're going to talk about the incredible importance of, in a sense, going upstream, of drinking from that source of life and eternal life in Christ. And so our theme this morning is going to be simply Christ Cascade. So uh, you think of all the things that you do in your life, the the, the broad spectrum of tasks and things you need to accomplish. But on some level, all of those are cascading effects. All of those are, are downstream to some degree. And if we lose sight of where they come from, we're in danger of drying up, right? So, so our theme, as I mentioned, will be Christ Cascade. We're going to have kind of uh, three points that we're going to look at from our text and if you, are, if you are a studious lot and you like filling in things, I actually have fill in the blank today, so, uh, so you're welcome to do that. Our first point is we blank ourselves to blank, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that just a little bit as we jump into our text. Um, now, the setting for our reading from the book of Luke is a really interesting one. Uh, so Luke is the only gospel writer that, that records this account of Jesus' interaction with Mary and Martha. And this isn't a big text. Like you noticed, it's only, what, five, six verses long. In some sense, it almost feels like a little bit of, of an aside to what was happening in Jesus' ministry. But here's why I love it so much, and I'm so thankful that Luke recorded it for us. It, it, it gives us insight into what maybe would have been seen as, as the mundane living of being a, a disciple and a follower of Christ. It kind of pulls back the veil to see exactly a little bit of the, the everyday living that some of these followers of Christ had. In this instance, Mary and Martha, right? But what's really amazing is that even in the mundane or the seemingly simple, um, ultimately Jesus peels that back and says even, even our, our normal everyday tasks are impacted by who he is and why he had come to earth. And so I love that Luke included this in his gospel um, because I think in this text, these short verses, um, it could be literally any one of us. So let's jump into our text. Uh, you're welcome to follow along if you'd like. I'm going to start by reading verses 38 uh, through 41, well, 38 through 40, uh, and we'll talk a little bit, little bit about that. So beginning at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. 
But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Do you empathize with Martha just a little bit? Do you almost instantly feel a little bit like Martha? Yeah, I, I, think, I think I do. Again, like, this is why I think it's so beautiful that Luke included this. Because as soon as you read this text... At least for me, I'm like, uh, I get it. Like, I know exactly what's going on here. Like, this happens in my family. This happens in my life, right? Where you get so overwhelmed with tasks and you get so task-oriented and you've got this checklist of things that have to get done. And if anyone gets in your way, including your sister, who is just lazily sitting at the feet of the Messiah, right? Right? You wonder if Martha was able to go back and like, I may have, I maybe would have said that a little differently, Jesus, right? But, but, but you, you understand that a little bit, right? Um, all the tasks that we have to do in any given day within our families, at, jo- at our jobs, with our kids, um, is almost overwhelming. And if anyone kind of trips you up, I think quite often this reaction is, is how we react. In fact, maybe this is a little bit mild, right? Martha goes to Jesus and says, why don't you, why don't you get her in line, Tell her to help me. Tell her how important these tasks are. Tell her to start start stepping up to the plate. And so I think on the opening level, we understand that. We understand where Martha was coming from, right? Lord, tell Mary to, to help me with these things. I think we know that, not just because of Martha, but I think you know that because of your own lives. How many of you feel busy? Okay, got some that are willing. How many of you are multitasking in your head as I'm preaching this sermon to you? <laughs> and you're like, I, I wouldn't multitask, task pastor, if your sermon was a little more exciting, right? So yeah, <laughs> but well, I, and listen, I'm no different. Like, like um, th- this is what we do. This is our minds are running at 110 miles an hour. And we like to think that we're remarkably good at multitasking when in fact science says that we aren't. And it actually makes no difference what gender you are. It, it just does not work very well. You can, you can nibble around at the edges. You can juggle a few balls at a time as long as they're kind of insignificant. But the things that really matter in your life, the tasks that really matter in your life, and most importantly, the people and the relationships that really matter in your life, you do not want to multitask them. You want to give them attention. You want to give them focus. It takes time. It takes a degree of patience and quietness, right? But I think all of us would probably admit we're pretty busy. Uh, There's a man named uh, uh, Tim Chester. He wrote a book called The Busy Christian's uh, um, Guide to Busyness, and he asked 12 questions about how busy we are as believers. I'm going to put them on the board for you here, and you get to answer these quietly to yourself. Go ahead with the first slide there. So I don't know why my clicker is not working. There we go. Here's the first three. Do you regularly work 30 minutes a day longer than your contracted hours? You're thinking, just 30 minutes? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Do you check work emails and phone messages at home or during a sermon? Someone laughed too hard over here. Jason, you laughed a little too hard. <laughs> yeah, no. 
Has anyone ever said to you, I didn't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are? Okay. Next slide. Do your family or friends complain about not getting time with you? If tomorrow evening were unexpectedly freed up, would you use it to do work or a household chore? It's interesting, right? Yeah. Do you often feel tired during the day or do you find your neck and shoulders aching? I'm not offering massages or anything like that, back rubs. Um, maybe the person sitting behind you in your pew or in your chair, that should be like, yeah, <laughs> right? I think we know this. Next slide. Go ahead. Do you often exceed the speed limit while driving? No answer. Uh, do you make use of any flexible working arrangements offered by your employers, right? Um, pandemic, I think, has probably accelerated this, right? Remote work in some sense means we work all the time. Do you pray with your children regularly? Right? Take time out of the day to do something like that. Do you have enough time to pray? If you take time to pray, is your mind multitasking what else you need to do next? Right? Okay. Do you have a hobby in which you are actively involved? Those of you that have little ones, you, I gave up my hobbies when I had little toddlers for a while, right? But, right? Do you eat together as a family or household at least once a day? All right, so how did your answers go? Yeah, probably all pretty similar, right? Um, maybe some of you retirees have a little bit extra time, right? Uh, and yet, it's probably amazing how quickly your time fills as well, right? with tasks to do, people to be with, grandkids to look after, trips to take. Um, we seem to have an unlimited capacity to stay busy no matter what station in life we're at. Whether we're young or we're old, we fill our time, right, and are remarkably busy. Ultimately, that's what Paul is addressing in Martha in our text here today. Remember our text said that Martha was distracted? All that meant was that she was looking at all kinds of other things other than the fact that she had her Lord and her Savior in her home, <laughs> right? All of the things that needed to be done, and yet there was Jesus in her house, right? And so Jesus brings her back to square one. He says, Martha, you are distracted about many things, but he brings her back. And I think we understand that. I think we understand that in our own living, how busy and distracted we can be. The Apostle Paul knew that as well. Uh, you think about how busy the Apostle Paul was. Uh, um, we will often, often call Paul the greatest Christian missionary that the church had ever seen. Think of how many churches Paul planted. I had the opportunity to just plant one here at CVL. Paul was doing it all over the Mediterranean, right? Paul was incredibly busy. Lots of things to do, but he also recognized that all of those things can distract, can in fact pull us away from Christ. Titus chapter 3 says that specifically. Paul says this, talking about all the things that can kind of pull us away from Christ. He says, slander no one, be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. He's speaking back to when they were unbelievers. He says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, 
and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. On some level, that's what Paul's talking about, right? Enslaved by all kinds of passions. What he's talking about is that our life and our living, and even how we treat one another, hating and being hated, we're being pulled around by things that, that we shouldn't be. Sometimes it's sin, sometimes it's our own selfish desires, and sometimes it's just the overwhelming amount of tasks that are on our plate on any given day. But the reality of it is, all of those and any of those ultimately can pull us away from the one thing that's needful. So that kind of brings us to our first point. Next slide here. We distract ourselves to death. And if you think I'm being a little bit overdramatic here, I don't think I am. I think our American life and our American living, I think we distract ourselves to death. Maybe I could have put it a different way. We distract ourselves from death. Because as long as we stay busy, as long as we stay productive, then somehow that is reflective of our value. As long as we can pack our day and say, I don't have a minute free, that somehow that makes us a more valuable person. And so on one level, I think we start to derive our value from what we do, what we produce, and how many boxes we can check. And here's the not-so-secret secret of that. Sooner or later, all of those things will let us down. Right? Sooner or later, all of those things um, um, won't love us, won't hold us up. Your career, the respect you engender, uh, even the raising of your kids, um, all the things of this life, sooner or le- later, will let us down. And so if we derive our value from all the things of this world, sooner or later we'll be brokenhearted and on some level feel valueless. Right? I think that's the one problem. But I think the secondary issue, I think on some level maybe we stay busy to avoid death. Will any of us avoid death? Okay, everyone should say no, we won't. <laughs> because there, what do they say? There's a sobering statistic, one out of one dies. Okay? We, can't, we won't avoid death, right? We have a limited time on this earth. And yet, we fill our lives and our days with so many tasks that maybe it's a vain attempt that we don't have to think about it. We don't have to consider it. Right? About pain and suffering, loss of a loved one, diagnosis of a disease, right? Cancer. Uh, um, um, struggle, maybe loss of a job, like all of these things we would like to never have to think about. And so we distract ourselves from them, rarely taking even more than five seconds to consider the impact and the pain, and to be honest, at times to cry, to weep, to just sit in silence, ultimately to pray to our God for help. And strength. See, I think we distract ourselves to death and from death because we don't want to have to deal with those things, the very real emotions and struggles that everyone in this room and in this world goes through. But the trouble with that is sooner or later, every one of us 
has to wrestle with it. We either do that willingly or unwillingly, right? I think on some level that's the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach Martha, right? Slow down. Focus on what is necessary, right? Not just what is necessary in that moment, okay? So our first fill-in was we distract ourselves to death. So next slide here. Just two blanks and a comma, so you'll get to fill this one in as well. So uh, our, let's go to our next, our next little uh, verse there, just verse 41. Um, this one only has two words, Martha, Martha. How do you picture those words being spoken by Jesus? I can go a couple ways, right? You maybe got a little sense of it when I read the text for you of which way I lean. Because it could go, Martha, Martha. Is that how you picture it? I never have. And I think we've got pretty good biblical evidence that that's not how Jesus is doing. Um, There's a couple other places where Jesus repeats a name twice. And in both of those instances, it's it's in a loving manner, not in a harsh manner. Now, if Jesus would have used Martha's middle name, right? <laughs> then you know she would have been in trouble, but he didn't, right? So he just says, Martha, Martha. And I think there's incredible gospel and beauty in that simple phrase from Christ and for you. In the midst of your busyness, and the tasks you have to do, and all the distractions and the pain and the suffering that is on your shoulders and in your lives, Jesus comes to you in his word and says, Martha, Martha. Which gives us our next fill-in. Go to the next slide there. There you go. This is a fill-in-the-blank and then fill in the blank. It's like two layers deep of fill in the blank, right? But you put your name in there, right? As Jesus lovingly reaches out to Martha to pull her back from all the distractions, to remind her that she is loved, that she is valued, and that she finds all of that, not only for earthly living, but for eternity in Christ. Jesus does the same for you. On this Sunday morning, in the midst of everything that's going on outside these walls, and will, as soon as you leave this church this morning, Christ says your name, lovingly, as an invitation, and as a reminder of what he has done for you. It's nothing short of laying down his life for you. Right? talks about that one thing that is needful, it's Christ's love. It's his death on the cross. It's the reality that you are loved and you are forgiven and that your value is found in him and not the things of this world. Not how accomplished you are, not the size of your bank account, not uh, where you come from or where you're going, not what you've done or you haven't done, but your value is found in Christ and he valued you enough that he would lay down his life for yours. You are loved, you are forgiven, of Christ. That was a lesson Martha needed on that day. Jesus preached an entire sermon with just two words. Martha, Martha. He does the same for us, for your hearts as well. Leads us to our next 
fill in the blank there. Blank thing and blank things. Uh, and we'll read uh, verses, actually, verses 41 through 42 of our next slide. So, Jesus says this, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Christ focuses Martha on that one needful thing, which was nothing less than Christ himself. In fact, that's why we are here this morning. That's why we sit at the feet of God and Christ in his word. That's why you hear your name repeated by your Lord and Savior above. Right? Because the one thing that is needed is Christ and his forgiveness. That is what empowers our Christian living. Remember that picture of Niagara Falls? I fear that far too often um, um, we live a life that, that moves at an extreme pace and all kinds of tasks get done, but we pay very little attention to the source that is actually feeding that living. And we do that long enough, we'll dry up right? spiritually, emotionally, and at times even physically. Ultimately, that's what Jesus is reminding Martha of. Remind or remember where the source of your living, your eternal living, comes from. It comes from me. Now, I feel like maybe we beat up on Martha a little bit this morning. Um, that was not the intent, and that is not the intent of this text. Um, because Martha got it. Have you ever wondered that? If Martha understood the lesson that Jesus was teaching her? I think we have an answer to that. In the book of John, we actually see another interaction from Martha. Um, some of the events in our lives that involve like the most planning and at times <laughs> can get the most heated, um, two of those, one is funerals and the other one are weddings, right? right? When people that love one another and that have good intentions but have a laundry list of tasks to get done, it is amazing how heated those situations can get, right? As a pastor, I get to be kind of in the midst of both of those. And I can tell you, I can attest to how heated sometimes that planning can get. And so we ask ourselves, did Martha learn the lesson that Jesus was teaching her on this given day? I think she did. We fast forward to the book of John. Um, specifically, we're going to read John chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus had died. It was a funeral. No more busyness and distracting herself from the realities of what life brings. And that includes pain and loss of people that we love dearly. Martha's now in the midst of it. And this interaction between Jesus and Martha is what we see. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, Martha replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And so she gets it. I don't know exactly what her itinerary looked like after her interaction with Jesus. I don't know how Martha changed her daily to-do list after Jesus slowed her down and said, Martha, Martha. 
But I do know this. I know that on some level, she sat at the feet of her Lord and Savior and drank deeply from the water of life that comes from Christ. If she hadn't, she would not have made a confession like this. That Jesus was nothing less than her Lord and Savior. And in the midst of a funeral and pain and all the tasks and everything that had to, been, had to be done, Martha responds with this. And so she got it. She learned. And she sat at the foot of her Lord and Savior. That's the beautiful thing of this text. As simple as it is, as mundane as it is, it focuses us on the one thing that matters and that affects all things, which brings us to our next slide here. One thing affects all things, right? And that one thing is nothing less than Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He fuels our living, right? Um, he, he waters our busy, hectic lives. And so we prioritize that. We take time out for that. I'm going to finish with one story. You can go to the next slide here. Ooh, this one worked. Uh, this is uh, Jake and Jacinda Kisser now. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jake and Jacinda Kisser. I got to announce that about a month and a half ago right here at CVL. So this was the, the, um, the first wedding we had on our campus. You can kind of see the picture back there. Um, and I'm sharing this story with permission uh, from Jake and Jacinda and especially uh, Jacinda's dad. Uh, as you know, any wedding has incredible amounts of tasks that have to get done and, and nothing and no wedding has ever gone perfectly. But Jake and Jacinda's had a little bit bigger bump in the road than maybe most. Uh, we were here and worship went well and the bride and groom were beautiful and no one passed out, which is always, that's usually my task, that's my goal. Like, okay, pronounce them man and wife, deliver God's word, and no one pass out. Like, if I do those two things, I feel pretty good about myself. So, uh, no one passed out, did great. Uh, service ended, uh, um, had some like kind of cocktail hour and then dinner was going to follow and the food didn't come. For 15 minutes, then for a half an hour, and then for 45 minutes, and then we are an hour in, and I'm just chatting people up because I don't, when I get chatty, I don't eat very much, so I didn't really notice, and, and all of a sudden I kind of start feeling this buzz happening around the wedding party and everybody that was there. I'm like, what's going on? Like, ah, the food's not here yet. Hour and a half in, two hours in, two hours after the wedding meal was supposed to be delivered and presented, that's when the caterers finally showed up, right? Yeah. Would it make you upset? Probably, right? <laughs> Probably, I would think so. I mean, like, food is a pretty big deal at a wedding, right? Uh, um, and so, needless to say, Jacinda and Jake were upset, Right? This is their big day, this is this big moment, and the food, the meal that was supposed to bring everybody together didn't show up. So Jacinda was in tears, Jake was worried, his new bride and what he could do to try to fix the situation. And it was in the midst of that that Jacinda's dad um, um, made a statement and gave some advice, and probably some of the best advice that I've ever heard. He said to Jacinda, 
the only thing that should matter now are the things that matter, that will matter 10 years from now. He said, you want to know what matters now? You're here before the Lord and these people and you've made your vows to one another and you're here with your husband, right? Because in that moment, at that wedding, those were the things that would matter 10 years from now or 20 years from now or 30 years from now. I asked him if he read that somewhere (laughs) and he said, well, I read a lot, but I don't think that I read it anywhere. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to quote you. So this is now like, yeah, yeah, just since his dad, dad Bradley, this is his quote. But I think it's wonderful advice, and I think it's, it's what we can leave with here today. You focus on the things, not just that matter in the moment, but the things that will matter 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, and ultimately in eternity. Those are the things we ought to prioritize in our lives people around us, the relationships we have, the love that we have the opportunity to show, and the forgiveness that we have the opportunity to give on a daily basis. That was the lesson Jesus poured out for Mary and Martha and for us here today. Christ is where we find forgiveness. In his word is where we drink deeply from the the good news that we are valued and we are forgiven. As we live our lives, let's keep the one thing needful, which is Christ, before us, prioritized, and ultimately feeding and watering our Christian living from here until eternity. Amen.